Spooked ya. Sweet Lord Almighty. I was so scared. We just, we just lost so like five followers. Oh mm. my god. What a great way to start. You got you you done did you get done spooked? I hope you did, because this is the oh. Halloween episode. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> um, unproducible. Welcome to the Unproducible Podcast. My name is Andrew Colma. What we do is we go dig into the depths of Hollywood, dig out the crap that doesn't get made. And then we give it some new life. Like, like zombies. Like zombies. Like zombies. Like zombies. Because it's Halloween, bitch! Uh, yeah! Halloween. And what's not working Halloween than Guillermo del Toro, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice yeah. segue, man. But hey, before we get into all that, um, there's people here. Let's introduce yourselves. Hi, again, it is me, Greg Richardson. Uh, I'm still white. Um... <laughs> I have not changed since last week. All right, I'm Nick Benjamin. I'm back too. Nothing has really changed with me as well. Um, it's great to be back, and I'm stoked for our unproduced script number two. What's going on? I'm Byron. I'm a huge fan of Guillermo del Toro, so this is going to be uh, spooky and dope. Let's get it. Uh, hi, I'm Alex Jules, and... Welcome to the second script of the Unproducible podcast. Uh, this month is like super crazy, overwhelming for me. I have a lot going on, a lot going on in my life right now. So I'm glad that this is happening because this is one of the things that I'm looking forward to all month. Hey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We already have a fan. Look at that. Anyway, yeah. That's all of us now. Like I said before, this podcast of ours, we go into the depths of Hollywood. We take out the films that never get made. And today, we're going to be covering Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness. Guillermo del Toro and Matthew Robbins, whoever oh, Matthew Robbins is. But it was going to be directed by <laughs> Guillermo del Toro, right. not yeah. Matthew Robbins. And anyway, if you've never heard of At the Mountains of Madness, me that... Well, I'm going to give you a brief history lesson right now. Because At the Mountains of Madness started out as a story written by famous author H.P. Lovecraft. Little little uh, Mr. T over here wanted to adapt into a, uh, to a film. Let's take everyone back to the magical year of 2006 where Mr. Del Toro and the writer Matthew Robbins... Um, <laughs> They were they wanted to do this film over at Warner Brothers, and they had a producer. You might have heard the name James Cameron. Who? Yeah, Dad Boy. Uh, that guy. Titanic, Avatar, Terminator, you know, Terminator, Aliens. That boy. That boy. Um, <clears throat> they were gonna do it there. Um, Warner Brothers got the screenplay and looked at it and said, uh, one. This shit's gonna cost us some money, and two, make it a happy ending, and um, also try to add a love story in it if you can. And so <laughs> Del Toro said "fuck you" and took the project over to Universal instead. <laughs> and to there, um, Universal's like, "Oh my god, we love the script, but um, can you make it PG thirteen instead of R?" And then Guillermo Del Toro said "fuck you." 
<laughs> and I'm not making the movie. And thus, we have an unproduced uh, film on our hands. Here it is. Yes. Hey. That we have obtained a draft of, but to be fair, we don't know if it's the actual script. We just have a script that says written by Guillermo del Toro and Matthew Robbins. <laughs> All right, guys, we, we are incompetent. This possibly might not be the real one. We think it is. <laughs> All right, so you can't sue us, all right? But anyway, yeah, with the script, we're going to do a reading for you because we feel that's the best way to give you, the listener, the best... Um, What the fuck word am I thinking of? The best... Listening experience. Listening experience there for you, you to give a picture I got you, of what... I got you. Thank you so much, Nick. English is hard. Instead yes, of spending an hour just, like, saying exactly what you did in two paragraphs, we're going to actually read the script. Because yes. <laughs> to give you the best experience possible, to give you a picture of what this film could have been like, all of us are going to be playing the characters in the script, and such as I will be playing the characters of Sailor, Wild Man, <laughs> slash Stranger, slash Dire. I guess they're all one character, supposedly. Yeah, they're uh, all one character. I don't know why they <laughs> did it like that, but they did. <laughs> uh, Pabodi, Higgins, <laughs> Fowler, Molten and communications officer. All right. And me, Greg. I, Greg. I'm doing a seaman, uh, hospital director, Gedney, Gordon, Larson, Captain Douglas, and Ropes, which is a human Very being. Nice. Not, <laughs> not a coil. Voicing, voicing mm -hmm. fabric. Yes. <laughs> That's going to be one easy line. I'm not going to tell you right now. Uh, and I, Nick, will be voicing Lieutenant Commander Atwood McTeague, or McTeague, however you pronounce that. Well, we got to choose. Yeah. <laughs> we got to choose. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those. It's going to be different every time I read it. Sumner, Hennessy, and Warrant Officer. I'm stoked. I'm going to be playing Lake, uh, Anne, Danforth, Gunnerson, and Bordeaux, which is a type of drink, but I don't have... Bordeaux, so I will settle with an Angry Orchard hard cider. I'm still oh. trying to get the sponsorship. Sponsor me, Angry Orchard. I am playing radio voice, console, Starkweather, Pip, Sailor One, and voice, which I'm guessing is the same thing as a radio voice. And I don't know if everybody else said it, but we're all playing one same character. <laughs> yep. Oh, and yeah. that character will be reporters. 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 <laughs> all right. Um, with all screenplays, we got the voices out of the way, but now there's a little thing called action paragraphs. And action paragraphs are the writing between the lines of dialogue, just describing what's going to happen. And to do that, um, it's a burden for one person to read all that. So we're going to be taking turns, and every 25 pages, someone is going to be, someone different is going to be reading the action paragraphs. And we do that uh, with a device called the Wheel of Death, where death. we have a spinning wheel, wheel that's going to pick us at random so that person can suffer and read the action paragraphs for 25 pages. And the, except, for, except for the very last person who has to read 29 pages. Oh, um, yep. uh, so that's, that, that's the real death. The person who volunteered herself to <laughs> suffer first is Alex Jules over here. So, hey. whenever you're ready, let's start the show. At the Mountains of Madness by Guillermo del Toro and Matthew Robbins. Fade in. Exterior, coastal waters, dawn. Gray skies, desaturated daylight. 
Slack tidal waters heave gently under a blanket of heavy mist. A wooden, uh, wooden fishing scow gradually takes shape. Superimposure, October 1939, Hobart, Tasmania. Four Aboriginal Australian fishermen are on board, hauling a net. Silvery fish flop in the bilge as the men transfer the bountiful catch into an ice-filled hold. One of the fishermen suddenly sees something. The chatter and work come to a stop. Silence. Except for the thumping of the dying fish gulping for air. Another angle. With infinite slowness, a huge derelict whaler floats into view, listing heavily. Its half-exposed bottom encrusted in barnacles and rust, the hulk dwarfs the fishing boats. High on one side is a faded name, Arkham. On board, later. Thunk! A grappling hook sails over the rail and lands on the main deck. An Australian patrol boat has drawn alongside. A dozen sailors climb onto the wreck, fully armed. Exterior decks. The hatches and windows are smashed, the wheelhouse crushed. Bloodstains blacken the decks, the stairs and ladders have been torn out and twisted. At the stern, a faded American flag hangs in tatters. America. Uh, <laughs> the boarding party fans out wordlessly, awed by the destruction. The men switched the men switch on their torches and peer down the stairs. Water everywhere. Below decks. Crash! A steel floor collapses, landing a seaman waist down in rusty water one level down. The sailors wade through tilting corridors, stopping to gawk at a cluster of mummified dogs fused onto a hatchway. Oh my god. The snarling teeth shine in the dim light. In a stateroom, a lieutenant commander exam examines a shelf stacked with 35mm film cans. A handwritten label reads, Miskatonic University Antarctic Expedition 1930. 1930? <laughs> the officer puts the cans into a leather pouch. Corridor. Up ahead, a storeroom. One of the men tries the door, shut tight, as lieutenant commander approaches. If locked from the inside, sir. With a hunk of scrap metal, the officer bashes on the lock. Inside, pushing aside floating crates and planks, they play their lights over the riveted bulkheads, which are scratched and buckled. Oh, blimey. Great God almighty. The lieutenant commander follows his gaze. The madman, panting, wild-eyed, a crouching old man stares madly at them. Chin deep in the rusty water, his pale features oh, his pale features and dry skin are in sharp contrast with his glittering, wide-open eyes. Can you understand me, Saul? <laughs> if you can't, just nod your head. <laughs> the seaman approaches. Don't, sir, don't be afraid. We're here to help you, sir. The seaman stops. Becoming aware that the rotted remains of a human being are glued to one of the bulkheads. <sighs> Disbelieving, he moves for a closer look. Suddenly screaming, the lunatic stands, revealing in his hands a rusty fire axe. Don't touch him! With a brutal blow, he sinks the axe deep into the seaman's chest. As the water reddens, <laughs> sailors leap onto him. <coughs> but he shakes them off and chops again catching one man in the back. Bang! The lieutenant commander leans in from the doorway, his gun smoking, aiming for a second shot. The madman drops to his knees, his grimace exposing a hideous broken teeth. His wild hair is yellow-gray, and a long, scraggy beard conceals gaunt features. His bulging, terrified eyes are pale blue. He touches the spreading, the spreading blood stain on his filthy coat and stares at his reddened hand. A gun! You 
shot me. My blood. Sorry, you smile. I'm back. I feel like this is the shining, not the shining, um, the thing so much right now. Mm -hmm. I'm getting very oh, yeah. the I could, thing I got, vibes. I got thing vibes, yep, for sure. With the sigh, he falls face forward into the water. The men close in. Cut to exterior, Hobart docks today. Bright sunshine warms the docks at Civilian's Cove, Hobart's busy harbor. The Union Jack is everywhere as English sailors provision a sturdy freighter, HMS Moonstone. They load water barrels, crates of fresh food. Sailors carry a couple of dog sleds up the gangway. The bemetalled ship's camp captain, Alan Starkweather, a no-nonsense ready-faced veteran, walks briskly down the dock, followed by his warrant officer. He signs a few forms and climbs into a shiny black Bentley. Its fender is decorated with consular flags. Exterior, Hobart Streets, day. A chauffeur drives the Bentley through the colonial era streets, where uniformed British and Australian soldiers mingle with colorfully dressed natives. In the Bentley, Starkweather and the local British consul are seated in the rear of the car. You're how close then, Captain Starkweather? Two days and counting, sir, if the weather holds. You ever hear of the Arkham? The consul hands him a sealed package. Lost at sea almost a decade ago, along with her sister ship, the Mystic Miskatonic. Starkweather opens the package. Maps, memos, and the 35mm film cans from the ship. She just fetched up here last night, with a survivor on board. Cut to exterior, military hospital, day. The Bentley sleeps past manicured lawns, palm trees, and colorful flower beds. It parks at the main entrance where Starkweather and the console get out. A pair of uniformed sentries salute smartly as the men enter the building. Hospital corridor. Steel bars. It's the prison ward. Starkweather and the console follow the hospital director. I must remind you, gentlemen, that despite the patient's sedation, we consider him extremely dangerous. Two men are dead, one in grave condition. We had to amputate an arm. The corpse on board. Has it been autopsied? Shotgun wound. He opens another door. Starkweather stares in amazement. Interior shower room. Continuous. Oh, oh chef. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Okay, Guillermo. <laughs> the madman is propped up on a stool, his bony shoulders swathed in bandages. He's shackled to the white tiled walls with long chains fastened to his neck, wrist, and ankles. Burly uniformed sentries stand guard as two orderlies cautiously cut the man's fingernails and hair. Good lord, do you know his name? I'm afraid not. He hasn't said a word. Starkweather sits down opposite the man and studies his gaunt features. Alright, you gotta do these languages in the British accent. Uh, what is- that's German and French? Yes. Oh. Yep. Let's hear it. <sighs> uh <-huh. laughs> oh no, what did I do? I love Sprechen Sie Deutsch. It's my favorite line. Reckon right. Deutsch. Du parlez français. That was terrible. That was be beautiful. It's <laughs> better than what I could. Yeah. <clears throat> no response. We've been through all that. I say he's a yank. The consul comes over to him. The Admiralty feels that, given your destination. It's essential you look into it. Before you sail, you understand. Starkweather can't conceal his impatience. <laughs> <laughs> to the consul. I'm hardly in a position to, to get involved with... This, with Hitler in Poland, my timetable is even more urgent. Wow. <laughs> I have to reach Antarctica by... FWAP! 
the stranger wraps a bony hand around Starkweather's arm. Starkweather grimaces. It hurts. Not Antarctica! <laughs> Are we sure this isn't the thing? It's not the thing. The man's grip is like steel. You must not go! I see, sir. Let's go. Now. The stranger gulps back tears and looks at the other men, barely able to control his voice. You must not sail to Antarctica! The man totters to a mirror, dragging his chains. He leans close to the mirror, pulling back his long hair. He touches his face, aghast. Could you be more specific, sir, about your warning, sir? Well, what year is it? 1939. 1939?! At the mirror, the stranger twitches in horror as something moves beneath his skin. Oh, I just got chills. <laughs> a faint, jagged fissure opens. His fingers elongate and undulate, suddenly devoid of cartilage or bone. In a brutal, sudden shock cut, his face and chest extrude into a mass of hungry, wet pseudopods that whip wildly in the air. The thing. Yeah. <laughs> it really is the thing. Yeah. Wow. Howling, the stranger turns away. Oh. <laughs> then, just as suddenly his appearance reverts to normal, reverts uh -huh. to normal. Back to scene. The other men stare at him. What's wrong? Did you see it? Did I change? I cannot trust my eyes, my mind. He grows increasingly distraught, yanking at his chains. If I change, if I do, you must kill me, you hear? You must kill me! While I'm for dawn! The sentries restrain him. Starkweather approaches. Sir, your name, sir, what is your name? I, my name, is William Dyer. <laughs> Adjunct <laughs> professor. The miscon... Miss 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 Catonic University expedition. <laughs> Nailed it. Nice. Wow, his, his <laughs> voice changed drastically. <laughs> you went yeah. full Shatner in that line. <laughs> Very good. Very good. The hospital director takes notes. And your age, Professor Dyer? I am. I was. I was twenty-five years old. When we left America. Dissolve to exterior Miskatonic campus night. Flashback. Camera pulls back from young William Dyer. At 25, wearing a tuxedo, he's almost unrecognizably healthy and handsome. A party is underway in a flower garden where prosperous New England donors and faculty mingle under festive paper lanterns. In the background, the imposing red brick buildings of the university. I was handpicked for the voyage by Dr. Gilman Lake, chairman of the biology department. Dyer poses with a group of distinguished scientists, Atwood, Bodie, Fowler, Dyer, and Lake. Beneath the wing of a huge aluminum aircraft, news photographers gather around. Along with my friends Walter, Danforth, a, geolog a geologist like me. Danforth, an appealing boyish scholar, runs up for, runs up for the photograph. He grins at Dyer as the reporter's flash powder, flash powder lights up their faces. Superimposure, September 1930, Miskatonic University, Arkham, Massachusetts. 
The center of attention is Professor Gilman Lake, 62, a charismatic natural leader. More flash powder explosions as yelling press photographers crowd around him. He leans close to Dyer and Danforth. Dreadful, isn't it, boys? All this hubbub. Our scientific community, as hidebound as the Vatican. But we're showmen, really. Forced to thrive as vaudevillian. Forced? The rest of the group chuckles. <laughs> Thank you very much, Atwood. Just grin and bear it. Bob Gedney, a rakish newsreel cameraman, stands on a table cranking his 35mm motion picture camera. His little brother, Pip, 17, is ready with an extra film magazine. Come on, Professor Lake. Say something. I'm running at the film. Pip laughs and the crowd applauds as Lake takes the microphone. Our trip will be one of discovery. Antarctica promises rich fossil records and with them, important clues to the origin of all species. Danforth notices a beautiful young woman standing in the shadows under an elm tree. He nudges Dyer, who abruptly leaves the lineup. In fact, we're seeking our place in the evolutionary ladder and answers to age-old questions as to our very nature. Exterior, garden, moments later. At the margins of the campus, the woman is walking away. Um, um, wait! As Dyer catches up with her, she turns to face him. She is visibly pregnant. Anne, wh what are you doing here? I'm sorry, Bill, I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? I've been smoking cigarettes since I was 14. I'm 15 now. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Are, are you saying that my character's oh. fucking a 15-year-old? That's not okay. That it kind of reminds me of uh, what's that one SpongeBob episode where it's like chocolates, chocolate. chocolate. I'm a smoker. <laughs> Dyer gazes into Anne's sad eyes. I'm leaving for Providence tonight. No, no, please, Anne, don't. I'll be back in the summer. She hands him a key, and an uncomfortable silence. You know how long I've worked to be part of this? The crowd behind them cheers. A band strikes up a celebratory waltz. Aw. You look happy with them. Wonderful, really. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> she kisses him on the cheek and turns to leave. Anguished, Dyer stops her, holds her hand. You afraid you'll miss something? This is your child coming, and you'll miss that. They stand for a moment, looking at each other. Wait, Anne, wait. I'll, I'll stay with you. Then let's leave now. You'll send Dr. Lake a telegram tomorrow. Shakes his head. <laughs> I have to do it face to face. He's not your father, Bill. He may think he has a hold on you, but he doesn't. Not unless you give it to him. Shafts. <laughs> Still? I owe it to a man. Trust me. Will you wait? For the last time, I will. He kisses her again and hastens off. Cut to exterior, garden, night. The guests sip champagne and admire various contraptions on display. A dor dornier plane? A field laboratory. Sure. <laughs> a dornier plane field laboratory and a couple of diesel generators. I should have left then and there. And knew it. 
She know better than myself. Unfortunately, so did Lake. Lake shows the reporters a massive Jules Verne-like drilling apparatus. Heck of a rig, eh? Five-inch bore. Aha. Uh -huh. Self-cleaning auger. Brilliant idea. Take a bow, Frank. He hauls forth Pabodi, a thin, well-bred English engineer. More picture taking. All right, guys, you ready? Here we go. go. Yep. Big right, count down. Count us down. Yep. In right. three, two, one, go. But it's so big. Please come home. I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Well done. Lake eyes Pabodi, who obediently takes his cue. It folds into sections. They take no more than 20 cubic feet. The whole thing is transportable on dog sleds. Always travel light, gentlemen. A couple of ships, a few tons of food, four airplanes, and, you know, something warm for the winter. The reporters <laughs> laugh, eating it up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Young Dyer, just in time. Join us. Lake snatches two glasses of champagne from a passing tray. Professor Lake, there is something we need to talk about my participation. Lake takes Dyer aside, hands him a drink. Miles looks back at Anne. Bill, Bill, I'm not blind. I know what you're going through. I too was young. Do exactly as you must. I'm very sorry, sir. Oh, no, 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 please. No apologies. But before you leave, uh, a crate arrived this morning. It'll only take a minute. A crate? From whom? What's in it? Lake glances over at Danforth, who grins in anticipation. Something you must definitely see. Interior, National Science Hall, night. Lake leads Danforth and Dyer down a corridor lined with tall glass cabinets containing bones and pickled specimens. Running the length of the vaulted ceiling is a complete whale skeleton. Did I ever tell you that they named this wing after my grandfather? Yes, sir. I believe you did. And that the library was, uh... Named after your father. You've mentioned that too, sir. Twice. <laughs> Lake chuckles. They climb a flight of stairs. Forgive me, uh, I tend to dwell on it, but, uh, It's not easy, you see, having these illustrious dead men weighing on your shoulders. No, it's not easy at all. At your age, time has no meaning. It's of no consequence, but... He unlocks the door to an office. I'm 52. For the longest time, I had the certainty that mine has been a life lived in vain. Ha, oh, sir, you have achieved great. I said I had. He opens the door. Dyer's jaw sags in astonishment. That was my jaw. Interior, Lake's office. Same. Same. Le same. Same. <laughs> Lake's office is wall-to-wall -wall books and glass cases. In the center, something stands unseen by the camera. The creature was heavily decomposed when fossilization began, but the striations on both flanks clearly suggest the existence of other appendages. You see? Sir, I... I've never seen anything like it. No one has, actually. As Dyer's approaches, the display comes into view. A massive, if fragmentary, fossil of a monstrous creature. Outside, the party is in full swing. Lake glances through the window into the garden. and is directly below, waiting. You want to venture a date? I 
there are faint traces of a layered stromatellolite. That would suggest. Yeah, pre-Cambrian, man, like late Archaean. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. Nothing remotely as complex as the creature existed on Earth. It must be fake. Oh, it's real. That much I'm sure of. Uh, you may recall the Randolph expedition. Yes, sir. Six months ago. Uncharted stretch of land. West of uh, Mount Vista? Precisely. Not much came of it, as I recall. That's what was said, wasn't it? In fact, Professor Randolph was intimidated by this find. <clears throat> I am not. Outside. And leaves. Oh. If we can dig oh. up further evidence to sustain its provenance, <clears throat> we'll make history, Bill. Are you interested in that dire? Making history? Dyer's eyes gleam with excitement. They shake hands. Cut to... Ow! <laughs> Exterior, Antarctic Ocean, day. Two whalers sail through frozen waters. The Arkham and her sister ship, the Miskatonic. Exterior, ship's deck, at sea. A two-masted brig, the Arkham, is laden with the drills and seaplanes. Smoke curls from the single funnel, a quarter mile away. The Miskatonic sails through heavy seas. Superimposure. October 20th, 1930, Antarctic Circle. A small plane flies overhead. Main deck, the Arkham. On deck, excitement mounts. Excitement mounts as the plane releases four bundles, which float down on small parachutes. Sailors grab and open them. Inside, sacks of mail. <clears throat> By mid-October, our ships had crossed that Antarctic Circle. They were wooden ex-whalers. The Arkham and the Miskatonic, reinforced for ice conditions. On board were four Dornier airplanes, eight mnemonic drills, 55 sledge, sl sledge dogs, sleigh dogs, either way, <laughs> and thousands of pounds of food, fuel, and equipment. Captain Douglas, a distinguished man in a white beard, nods to his second in command, Higgins, who blows a whistle. All right, you lot, come and get it! Three sailors distribute the mail, reading off the names on the envelopes and packages. And yet, the most precious object on board every two weeks was a simple envelope. Chesterson, Daniels, Danforth. Dyer's in the crowd, waiting for his name to be called. Denton, Frederick, Horn. Nothing. Dyer is disappointed. Hmm. And the saddest of all things, the lack of one. Danforth opens a carton of books. Ha oh, look, Bill, from my mom. Some Jews burn, Wayne, and the narrative Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket? Very appropriate. My sister says Boston's having a cold snap. That's funny, huh? A cold snap? Dyer smiles faintly, hiding his feelings. <laughs> oh, no! He's wallowing. Oh, wallow, wallow. <laughs> Suddenly, Pip rushes past, carrying electrical cables. He descends through the gallery, almost toppling the cook who doles hot soup to half a dozen hungry sailors. Four crew members amongst Fucking them. <laughs> I mean, I can relate. Four... David Pip. <laughs> Fucking Pip. Oh boy. Four crew members amongst them, Pobodi and a bearded meteorologist, Molten, are playing poker at the mess table. Pip whizzes by and enters the <laughs> ship's laboratory. 
where Daniels, Sumner, and Gordon are unpacking the precious fossil. Gordon, a zoologist, is a touchy New Yorker. Damn, kid, watch it. Oh, God. Sorry, Dr. Gordon! Pip scampers down a spiral staircase to the kennels. A cacophony of barking. There we go, there it is. I was waiting for that. Was that walruses? <laughs> yeah, or, or, or. I mean, it doesn't specify what's barking, so. There are two dog handlers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Andrew. There are two dog handlers. Ian Larson, a muscle tattooed Canadian brawler, dressed lightly despite the cold. Jan Gunnarsson, a lanky blonde Dane. They're feeding the huskies. Pip plugs in the cables as Gedney waits by his camera. Thank you, Pip. Now let there be light. He snaps on some photo floods. Larson squints in the sudden glare and notices Pip petting one of the dogs. All right, I'm going to preface this. The voice I'm about to do for this man is an impression of my dad's impression, my great uncle, <laughs> who is an actual Canadian. So... Oh boy, here we go. Right. I'm excited. Mr. Gunty, can I tell your brother not to play with his animals? They ate pets. <laughs> All right. Pip backs off. J just saying hello, Mr. Larson. I, I did didn't. And those lights turn on, turn them off. But you're a star, McTeague, like Rin Tin Tin. Gedney is rolling film. Mr. Larson, your, your dogs, will they sense a dif difference down here instead of c c c Canada? <laughs> Larson wears a hearing aid. It's microphone pinned to his shirt pocket. Oh, he says, and dogs, dogs. To a down, girl. Take your turn. Yeah, we've done three Arctic expeditions. <laughs> then the dogs. 1921, 22, 26, and 28. Yeah. Um, th th that, that's four. Larson grabs a jumbo can of horse meat. He produces a huge gulp inducing bowie knife and brutally lops off the can top. Oh, I'll say this much about their smarts. I'd take a good canine over a boatload of pencil pushers any day. Alright, this is becoming Obama. <laughs> yep. I was gonna say. Gunnarsson nods in agreement and Larson grins a mouthful of chromed teeth. Cut to exterior. Alan Hills, David Glacier, day. Three of the portable drills are in operation. Individual crews are in various stages of excavation and fossil recovery. In a matter of weeks, we secured excellent fossils. Superimposure. Alan Hills, David Glacier. November 8, 1930. Tons of supplies dot the barren shore along with sleds and drilling equipment. At a drill site, two graduate students, Ropes and Baudreau, work under Pabodi supervision. They bring up a core sample from deep underground, then pick through it. Scientific treasures rivaling anything held in the world's finest collections. You may have read about it in our wireless reports to the Boston papers. Within its layers, specimens of ancient marine life. Shoreline. Sailors transfer the crated finds into the ships by means of cables and a breeches buoy. Two of the Dornier planes fly overhead. <laughs> Danforth helps the portly Daniels board a third plane ready for takeoff. But as the weeks passed by, Lake remained distant and unsatisfied. Dyer and Danforth exchange a look. Lake keeps his back to them, gazing at the icy ocean from the shore. 
Interior, ship's laboratory, day. Lake enters the lab. Dyer observes him, unseen from the doorway. As if all this was just so much routine, and his mind was already further ahead. Displayed in all its gory, glory. Ooh, cool. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna get gory, I'm sure. Displayed in the glory. In all its glory is the large, mysterious fossil. Waiting for the rest of us to catch up. Blake sits before it in a reverie, as if in prayer. Exterior, ships at sea, night. The Arkham and the Miskatonic turn through dark waters. Superimposure. New Year's Eve, 1931. Distant music can be heard. Interior, mess hall, night. A phonograph plays a merry Danish drinking song. Orendorf. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Orendorf, a ruddy-faced Norse giant, sings along. Larsen starts dancing as the rest of the sailors and academics sing the chorus. Dyer seems cheerful at last. Fowler, a kindly chemist, sporting a paper hat, hands him a drink. Here, Dyer, try this. He's Irish now. All right. I, I'm not much of a drinker, Dr. Fowler. Thanks. Danforth intercedes. Come on, dude, it's the new year. Besides, <laughs> that's Professor Fowler's own concoction. In the interest of science, then. He takes a gulp, then <laughs> gags. <laughs> I'll stick to pr pr Prusik? I'll stick to Prusik acid, <laughs> Dr. Fowler. It tastes better. More laughter from the men. <laughs> Exterior, main deck. Same. Lake swaddled in furs. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and it's not some A. <laughs> No, it's same. Why would it be Why would it be Tame? It's same because it's a, a screen drawing term that says continuous. They're like, it's yeah. happening right now, and he just uh, doesn't want to write continuous. He's doing the same. Lake swaddled in furs stands at the rail, staring out at passing icebergs. On the horizon, a moonlit, majestic cloud bank seems to have swirled up into ramparts and towers. Oh, ramparts and towers. Captain Douglas appears, his white beard whipped by the wind. We'll be into that fog bank all night and all day tomorrow. But it's utterly fantastic. Looks like a city, doesn't it? A mirage at sea, just like the desert. A glacier becomes a boat. A land blink appears where there is none. Can't trust your eyes as far south. Lake feels an intermittent light on his face and turns. The Miskatonic is flashing its signal light to communicate with the Arkham. The Miskatonic has received a message from Boston. We're having trouble with our radio. Magnetic field, perhaps. Perhaps. McTeague, communications officer, approaches and hands Douglas a piece of paper. Sir. <laughs> the captain reads it in silence and hands it to Lake. Professor Dyer, his wife and baby, died in childbirth, the both of them. If you could see my face right now, I just gasped. <laughs> Lake scans the message. The massive fog bank now towers above the ship, filling the sky like a collapsing skyscraper. I'll deliver the news. No. No, say nothing to him. Not now. I know him well, Captain. I'll take care of it. At the right time. Trust me. 
The captain acquiesces. Lake pockets the telegram. They are now engulfed by fog. Interior mess hall. Night. The song ends. Everybody cheers and claps. Atwood steps in. All right, lads. Drink up. The simmer down. Miles. You're all a bunch of heathens, but God's patience is infinite. So... The men stop the phonograph and cluster around Atwood. Join me in a short prayer of thanks. Hung his head. Lord, we ask they thy blessing here in this, the Earth's farthest reaches. Exterior, Antarctic Ocean, night. The ships are barely visible now, swallowed by the thick fog. May you keep us safe in the many long toils ahead. Deliver us from all evil. Amen. Atwood's voice dies away. Oh. The Arkham plows, the Arkham plows through a thin Shut ice up. crust. I knew it. <laughs> 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 An ice crust. Chink, chink, chink. I'm guessing that's what that is. Yep. A rhythmic sound, like a heartbeat. Interior corridor. Same. The empty corridors. Chink, chink, chink. All through the night, we sailed on. Sailors of the past called this Finistiere, the edge of the world. Interior, ship's laboratory. Same. Chink, chink, chink. They believed that monstrous things lived in these waters. A low-frequency vibration swells, shaking the ship and... in the lab. The peculiar fossil... The vibration seems to emanate from within it like a homing beacon. That whoever ventured further would fall off the face of the earth. Dissolve to interior, Dyer's cabin, night. Chink, chink. Dyer lies face up in his bunk, fast asleep. The cabin shakes. And maybe that's exactly what we did. Suddenly on the soundtrack. <laughs> Jesse Matthews, 1927, My Heart Stood Still Fated. My heart stood still. I don't know how that goes. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. It, That's that... so cool that there's what? a soundtrack added in this, like that. Camera pulls back to reveal Dyer sitting placidly in a couch in his parlor. On a table radio, Jesse Matthews sing sings on. Oh. <laughs> Smiling. Dyer looks into the adjacent room where Anne gently rocks a cradle. Oh no, I don't like this. She smiles and half closes the door. Now he sees only her shadow and that of the cradle on the wall. He stirs a cup of tea, but the spoon tumbles from his hand. Fucking klutz. <laughs> As he picks it up, he notices snow on the floor. Oh. Removing one of the floorboards, he finds that the parlor rests on ice. Oh. Dyer stares. The shadows in the adjacent room distort, as does the song. Oh, really? The thing! Oh my god, the thing! Yeah, the oh, thing. there it is! Yep. <sighs> the thing in the crib is festooned with squirming tentacles. Oh, I <laughs> picture Squidward. <laughs> Squidward. Squidward doing his, like, gnarly, like, retro dance. Yeah. 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 A gust of wind tears the walls away, revealing a vast, featureless snowscape and on the far horizon, a boundless, jagged mountain range. I felt utterly alone and lost. Alone, but in the whole wide world. In his shirt sleeves, Dyer stands in the middle of nowhere. White snow, white sky. In slow motion, 
snowflake swirl. Unfathomable silence all around me. And then, for the first time, I saw the Dark Man. <laughs> I'm legit getting chills from reading this right now. I don't like this at all. Uh, you fucking bad. I don't like horror. No, but I'm almost done. Ha! Yep. A figure shrouded in a fur parka walks towards him. Cut to interior Dyer's cabin, night. Dyer opens his eyes, still lying on his bunk. He sits up, hands shaking. He pours a glass of water. And from that nightmare, I woke into a real one. He turns on a light and reacts. In the mirror, he sees that he is unshaven and thin, with bony fingers and long nails. And wheel of death. Yeah. All right. And the person who will read the action paragraphs next will be. We love death. We love death. We love death. Nick. Oh. Yes. Let's go. Oh, I'm ready to. Re That's why I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm ready to read the <laughs> shit out of this script. All right. Let go. You guys ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Interior. Ship's corridor continuous. Dyer hurries through the empty corridor. A low throbbing hum reaches his ears. Mess hall continuous. Sailors are face down at the mess table sleeping. Soup has congealed, con congealed, congealed on their plates. Yeah. Potatoes have sprouted. The raw meat teems with thousands of worms. <laughs> nope. Oh, this is a Guillermo del Toro script. What I know. Um, engine room continuous. All engine. All engine are running full yep. speed with Settlement no one man in them. Boilers are hot. I feel like all the typos are when I read it. Like, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I don't understand. But reading is just as hard as speaking, so. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Ship's hole groans and shudders. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. Superior ship's deck, night. Dyer explodes onto the main deck. The spars and lines are ghostly shapes are ghostly shapes shrouded in thick fog. There's no one at the wheel. More sailors and officers lie in a heap on the bridge. Crack. Arkham smashes through heavy layers of ice. The flow, the flows cracking like pistol shots. Then only yards away, a rocky cliff goes by. Blind and heat and heedles. Ship is, what? Heedless. He oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. it's heedless. My, I can't read, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> Blind and heedless. That's your only is... job, is to read. <laughs> I can't read. Okay. Blind and heedless. The ship is bearing down on land. Dyer screams at the top of his lungs. Oh. Oh, Jesus! Oh, Jesus! Help! Oh, somebody Bam. help! We're going to... You fucking skip my line, bro. What the fuck? <laughs> Do you want to read that again? No, I'm, I'm fucking done. All right. Bam. Darkham shudders. Deck cargo breaks loose and topples over the side. Oh, shit. Shudders in loose. Oh. oh a no. few, that's what I keep thinking, too. Arkham, I'm like, oh, yeah. shit. Matt, yeah. Yeah. A few unconscious sailors follow, dropping four stories onto the ice like ragdolls. Below decks, something has pierced the hole. Seawater shoots into the forward hole, washing, hold, washing away uh, the crew and... In um, inundating the engine room. Nevertheless, the engines still roar. And exterior ship. 
Chip yaws sideways with metallic groan. Yaws! Yaws! Sideways with the metallic groan. Interior, the bridge. Captain Douglas staggers to his feet. Stop all engines. Shut them oh. down. Are you Shatner now? Kinda. <laughs> Higgins rapidly relays the message down to interior, engine room. As sailors struggle to kill the engine, the electricity fails and sparks fly. Steam pours out of a firebox. Exterior, ship's deck. Inertia pushes the listing ship abeam onto a rock-strewn ice field. Men shout in confusion. Dyer lunges for the railing as the world, uh, excuse me, as the world tilts under his feet. Cargo box smashes into the chains holding the Derek to the boarding. Interior, corridor. Wave of water sweeps through a dark corridor, dousing the crew and invading. Kennels, waist deep in water, Larson sloshes from cage to cage, rescuing his dogs. His arms, he valiantly carries a limp, bleeding bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That fucking bitch. <laughs> God damn. Is it Seriously. that bitch's time of the month? Is that what's happening? Oh, no. What was the whole point of getting bitch? Like, I know. Was that like, oh, no. a bitch is a female dog. It, it is. Right, but like, why did yeah. it just like, unless it was like blatantly said in the book, like, oh, the bitch was, was like saved, you know what I mean? <laughs> just thinking maybe, like that, I don't know. Maybe the backstory is when Ger when Gearmy was writing this oh, screenplay, no. a, a dog bit him right there. Oh, he was he was like, pissed. Yeah, yeah, fucking bitch. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. I'll, I'll take yep. that. Yep. Exterior, ship's deck. The Derek breaks loose and slides towards the dire. It embeds itself in the combing with a deafening clag. Rivets pop, struts bend. Now the back end swings around and strips off the railing and dire along with it. Flying debris, debris, debris opens up a gash in his forehead. Ouch. Angling 50 feet above the ground, bleeding profusely, profusely, he holds on for dear life. The Derek smashes onto the ice. Dyer's hands are sliding. He's too weak to hold on. Interior, hold, day. Water gushes in front of the ruptured forward compartment. Early sailors stagger uh, to a massive steel door and force it closed, turning a large wheel and isolating the breach. Main deck. Danforth reaches to the edge of the deck and reaches down. Come on, Bill. Take my hand. You can do it. <laughs> oh my I can't. I'm slipping. I'm... Oh, no. Jesus Christ, man, just do it. Oh, that's beautiful. The rail gives. For a helpless instant, Dyer's suspe uh, suspended in midair. In a blur, Danforth snags his sleeve. He grunts and pulls. Hmm. Dyer climbs back on board yeah. out of yep. Dyer climbs back on board out of breath and shaking. His friend embraces him. His hair is long, his cheeks unshaven. Jesus! You did it, dude. It was you, Walter. You. Thank you. Iris sits down heavily. Only then do they notice. The other men are also gaunt and dazed, showing several days' growth of beard. On the bridge, in the binnacle, binnacle, in the binnacle, the compass is spinning like a pinwheel. Distraught, Captain Douglas runs outside. What's that? Glinting frost races along the Arkham spars and lines. In an instant, the captain's hand is frozen to the rail. He struggles to pull free. Dogs charge across the deck. Larson comes up from below and pushes a couple of sailors aside as he heads for Higgins. What were you doing? Higgins? <laughs> Sleeping? 
follows Higgins' gaze down to the waterline. The ship is wedged in among great hunks of sea ice. As the fog lifts, the men gather at the rail. Sweet Jesus. Carol and Joe, where the <laughs> crackling fuck are we? At the Mountains of Madness. Hey, hey, hey let's go. He said the name All of the right. thing. Uh, roll, roll credit. Yeah, roll credit. <laughs> Camera executes a grand pan of a new world never before seen by human eyes. A dreamlike range of mountains surrounds them. Sharp imperial peaks recede in jagged ranks, bathed in low, slanting sunbeams. Two distant volcanoes send smoke into a vault of purplish sky glowing with ice clouds. Wow, what no, sound, no sound from anyone. Just a clicking of Genie's movie. Camera as he records everything like a man possessed. Dissolve. This is all a flashback-ish type of thing. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. shit. Dissolve. Black and white footage, panning slowly over the vast unknown landscape. The mountains before us surpassed anything in imagination. At 36,000 feet, they put Everest out of the running. Then, the film becomes hazy, as if irrad irra irradiated. Yep. Yep, got it. Interior, <laughs> screening room day. In a darkened projection room, Stark Weather, I keep thinking it's Skywalker, Stark Weather sits alone, watching fields of black and white film. And these grainy, jumpy shots. Out on the ice, Lake, Dyer, Sumner, Douglas, and Gordon are taking a Theodolite the the yep. reading of, uh, of the nearest peaks. Precambrian slate with the plain signs of other upheaved statra. Yeah, statra? But. <laughs> Lake looks through the theodolite among the streaks and the shadows, some vague geometric shapes at the top of the mountains. At the very top, through the clouds, we could make out bizarre structures, unnatural, almost symmetrical. Some have ventured the possibility of buildings, but back then, that seemed impossible. Interior, Dyer's padded cell. Back in the prison ward, Dyer huddles on his bunk bed, shivering and wild-eyed. What on earth could have built them? What could have lived in such a cold, dead place? Tan caresses the scar on his forehead. The answer became evident soon enough. Nothing human. Nothing human at all. But two, exterior ice field, the Arkham Day. The ice next to the Arkham, Dr. Hennessy, the Irish ship's surgeon, stitches up oh. Dyer's forehead. Whiskey is the anesthetic of choice. All around them, the sailors pitch tents. Shaft. Oh my god. <laughs> not expecting that. <laughs> Alright, cut to exterior at the waterline. Day. Higgins and a work detail are laboring around the ship's perimeter, chopping at the ice with picks and axes. Captain Douglas is frustrated. Higgins, damn you, Matt. Thought you cleared the prow. <laughs> we did so just now! Well, it's frozen solid. Watch the water around the hole, crackling and popping. The ice grows back in seconds. My god, it's growing like ivy. Get all the available men here. Use the welding torches. I want her back at sea, now. Cut to interior, ship's laboratory, day. Surrounded by charts and maps, Lake and half dozen scientists are working on a broken drill. We need core samples, starting in the foothills. Ready. Uh, what, it, how do you pronounce it? Pabody? Pabody? Pabody. Pabody. I was like, Pabody. Pabody starts the engine, but it clanks to a stop. 
Sumner, turn the pipe. Seep it clears the housing. Ira enters the lab. Bill! You shouldn't be walking around, my boy. I need to speak to you, <laughs> sir. Not now, Dyer. Pabody's right. You must rest and- Sir, have you looked at your watch? Late, late guffaws. Him, the question is a non sequitur. Dyer, please, we- Mine has stopped. Oh no. The others look at Fowler, whose bookish demeanor speaks of precision and fast what the hell is this word? Tidiousness. Tidiousness. He holds up his pocket watch. 6.14 a.m. I don't know. What, what the fuck? The voices are all over the place. I was going to say, you're doing like three of the same voices. It, 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 it's like me and Kat last, last week. Yep. Where you just forget. There's like, yep. ah. I'm, def I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. I, I forgot most of all my voices, so it's all good. All okay. right. I'll try this. 6.14 a.m. There we go. Well, yeah, okay. Here we go. We're professionals, guys. We're yes. professionals. No, we're not. <laughs> we're, we're, we, do, we do okay. Reflexively, Pavodi, Atwood, and the others check their watches. Lake 2. Every clock in the ship has stopped at the same time. 6.14 a.m. January the 28th. That's weeks away. Bleak pause as they look at each other, aware, again, of their haggard faces. Please, gentlemen, a magnetic field, an operation, clocks damage, don't impact. Mike, move it. In your journals, move on. We have work to do. They start the drill again. This time it works. They all cheer. Dyer remains somber. Exterior, ice fields camp around the Arkham dusk. Sailors work with welding torches around the hole. Behind them, dozens of tents are now illuminated. McTeague suddenly calls to uh, Captain Douglas from the bridge. Captain, I'm getting something. Interior, Arkham's Bridge, dusk. McTeague sit at the radio, surrounded by the ship's officers. Ira listens uh, attentively. Come in, uh, Miskatonic. Call in Miskatonic. This is research vessel Arkham. Do you read? We we need assistance. Uh, present position unknown. Indeed, something can be heard, but it's faint. That, sir? A voice. A voice. I could boost it. Just give me a minute. Suddenly, a clear voice breaks through. The men eagerly close in. Come in, Miskatonic. Calling Miskatonic. This is a research vessel. Arkham, do you read? We need assistance. Present position unknown. Voice is inhuman, hissing as if. Oh shit. Sorry, Jules. Uh, the voice is inhuman, hissing as if in a <laughs> mockery. The static becomes a wheezing cackle as it dies away. The men stare at one another at the loss for words. Two. <laughs> Interior. Ships hold. Day. Clattering air pump starts up. The men fit a copper diving helmet over uh, Orendorf's head. Underwater, forward compartment. Water is a limbo full of floating papers, planks, rags, and dead dogs. Bluish uh, acetylene torchlight filters in through a diagonal slash in the bow. Orendorf drops down to examine the damage. Something odd and bulky has pierced the hole. Impossible to make it out. Suddenly, Kirk, it breaks free. Orndorf, Orndorf's eyes grow huge. The dark shape rumbles towards him. He twists aside, narrowly avoiding being crushed to death. He plays a light over. Oh, sorry. He plays a light. Oh, that was right. He plays a light over yeah. an eight-foot green obelisk, intri in, in, intricately carved. The tip is crowned with five sharp cones, ins insist with, sized with circles. That's a weird shaft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Orndorff squeezes through the gash and out into an open ocean. Oh my god. Below the ship, Orndorff floats under the ship and shines his light on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the underside of the adjacent ice flows, illuminating a vast ghostly landscape. As far as he can see, stone monoliths just down like jagged black teeth. Wow. Cut to Icefield Camp Day. Next to a tent, uh, Gedney opens an equipment case and brings out lenses and filters. Pip squats nearby, developing film in a sealed steel bucket. Watch it. That footage, it's worth its weight in gold. Come on, Bob. I've done this a m -m million times. Ate, first, movie tone. <laughs> movie and money in the bank for once. Arson and Gunnarsson pull on a couple of sleds. They have weapons, a rifle and a shotgun slung across their backs. Where are you guys off to? We got hungry dogs. They smell fresh meat. Points at the horizon. In the fog, they can discern a few distant silhouettes. Pip squints at them. Jesus. <laughs> what, what, what are they? Yeah, it's penguins. Biggest I've ever seen. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Pip, <laughs> Pip uses a camera viewfinder to get a closer look. Uh, I've had plenty of penguins skip. It's tasty. <laughs> oh no. How would you know? You like dog food. <laughs> Larson chuckles and they take off. The penguins look odd, tall as a man and motionless. Hey, they're completely white. Like you, Greg. <gasps> I am a penguin. All right, exterior, ice field day. The huge penguins, albinos, all face oh. the mountains. Camera, camera pushes closer to one of them, revealing its sickly, translucent skin webbed by bluish veins. The wings are abhorrent, Formed and elongated, not unlike paws. The eyes are covered by thick, milky cataracts. cataracts. Ew. I feel like Guillermo is just like, look, I know words, and he I just know. like throws yeah. them in there. I, <laughs> oh my god. Exterior, <laughs> lower deck, day. Under, uh, Bodhi's Bodhi. supervision. I, yeah, yep, I got it. <laughs> Under, I was like, I, I kept saying okay. Pabody again. Under Pabody's supervision, two of the drills bore deep into the ice. The ship's crane hauls on a chain sling. Captain Douglas, Dyer, Danforth, and Lake watch as one of the stone monoliths comes up, dripping and shining in the sunlight. Look at that. And if what Orendorf says is true, there are hundreds. Thousands. Thousands of them, right under our feet. Better pick them up fast, gentlemen. And your equipment, too. As soon as the ship is free, I intend to be put out to sea. And head to where, Captain? Out of here, sir. That's as good a destination as any other. In other words, you still have no idea as to our position. The Arkham is a whaling ship made of wood and steel. I reckon we fetched up further south than she's ever been. If we don't free her soon, and we'll be icebound for months. If she'll last that long, then the ice will crack her wide open and swallow us all. Shaft, so we're yep. leaving. With without our precious cargo. Black and white footage. Eight stone monoliths covered in ruins are laid out on the floor of a tent. The scientists move among them. Lake examines a fine line uh, on a monolith's side. Main tent, day. Main tent is is a large square with adjoining bays. In the glare of full of floodlights, uh, Gedney and Pip film everything. They could be channel markers. I've seen similar motifs, but... Where? It's not soapstone. It's not soapstone. It's way too hard. 
It turns off uh, the photo lights. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they give me the creeps. These these things lined up like that. They, they look like coffins. Blake hears this and mutters. Dire. Grabs a crowbar from a table and works it into the slit, circum circumscribing one of the monoliths. Jeff. Help me out, will you? Dyer grabs a second crowbar and goes to work. What are you doing? Crack. The stone falls onto, uh, in, or sorry, open into two perfect halves. A stream of green, viscous liquid spills out and a carcass slithers to the floor. The men cover their noses. Ew. <laughs> Dear God, what on earth? Yeah. They stand seriously. over the remains of a creature identical to the fossil at Scatonic U. A godsend, gentlemen. Oh, uh, don't, don't touch it. But at we all prayed for this, did we not? I know I did. And forth bolts from the tent, shaking. Exterior, crevice, dusk. Two dog sleds make tracks pulled along by excited huskies. On board, Larson and Gunnarsson. Gunnarsson halts his animals, then he rears back. They're at, a, they're at a crack in the ice, a fault line, which is half a mile long. As Larson pulls to a stop. Watch it, long be down. <laughs> the crevice is a blue-green <laughs> abyss. Larson draws a hunting rifle from his sled pack and trots up a slope. Here at Hillside, Larson and Gunnarsson creep over the hilltop. Penguins everywhere. <laughs> Penguins fucking everywhere. <laughs> See that? Dumb birds. What are they waiting for? I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> I have. Uh, slaughterhouse, slaughterhouse sheep. Back home. At killing time, uh, they all face the butcher block. They know the knife is coming. It looks like they are praying. Good. Because uh, they're going to be their Larson fires. A penguin topples to the ground. The other birds barely react. Damn. Terrible <laughs> hates birds. These penguins don't give a fuck. One shot, and that sucker was eight foot tall. Interior, ship's laboratory, night. Danforth tear tears through the bookshelves in the ship's lab. He's in a frenzy, throwing books onto the floor. He opens a steamer trunk full of books and locates a tattered, leather-bound volume. Oh, sweet Jesus. The book's front frontis frontispiece? There's an engraving of a monster surrounded by runes and symbols. Inside, more engravings on the creatures at creature as seen when cut in half. Match cut to interior main tent night. The specimen cut in half, brandishing steel knives. Lake Fowler and Dyer bend over it. Lake records his comments on a wire recorder. Behind him, all the stone coffins have been opened. When extended, their membranes resemble serrated wings, seven feet long, tip to tip. Suggesting an avian predator. Big moves to another dead creature, pulls at the lid on what looks like a complex eye. Their multiple ocular globes are protected by a triple membranous lid, probably marine in origin. Dyer's rubber gloves and scalpel. Wow, I could read that better. Dyer's rubble, rubber. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Dyer's rubber gloves and scalpel are wet with alien mucus. This is great. These five radiating lobes, they're all brain, do you think? Oh, young man, I'm not even convinced that's a head. Young man, 
If it is, a cranial cavity of this size would indicate intelligence. A very high order. Eller collects some of the green viscous liquid in a test tube. This species may be unique to Antarctica, a self-contained environment and isolated population, like the marsupials. Two-way radio crackles to life. A store is picked up. <laughs> One back on board. Well, much as I like to stay, I'll leave you gentlemen alone with your friends. <laughs> Fowler exits, taking the test tube with him. Dyer and Lake continue the dissection. Exterior, ice field. Tent encampment, night. Fowler marches back to the boat. The tents in the camp are lit from within. The, uh, Jesus Christ. How do you guys... How is it, uh, a, acetylene? Acetylene? I don't know. Okay. The acetylene torches illuminate the prow of the Arkham. Eerie, elongated shadows flicker and jump across the curtains of billowing fog. The howling wind seems to jabber in an unknown tongue. Fowler stops and looks back anxiously. Lake, is that you? Gale carries his voice away. Fowler hurries on board. Interior, main tent night. With forceps, Lake pulls apart a long, ugly lars, uh, laceration. The flesh is cut in every case, not torn or decomposed. You see? Exactly here, our fossil was decapitated. Probes a sliced neck area. Probes a sliced neck area on another specimen. Deliberate neck wounds. Something went after the head, time after time. A predator. Lake shakes his head, turns off the recorder. No teeth or claw marks. I believe they're combat wounds. Done with a weapon. Dyer examines the dead creature with growing horror. He shudders, then laughs. Well, whatever did this? I'm glad it's gone. Camera pushes in on one of the eight specimens, turned away from Dyer and Lake. The long, sagging neck wound is slowly closing itself until the gray, rubbery flesh is smooth and healed over. <laughs> Two, oh, exterior, hillside, night. The fog thickens as Larson and, the gu and Gunnarsson push their way through the flock of penguins. The enormous birds stand their ground, hooting softly. Dark below, they're, they're not pigeons, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, yeah, that works too. Um, whatever a penguin sounds like. Uh, dark blood seeps into the snow under the fallen bird, which heaves and flops in agony. Oh no. Crack shot, huh? He's still alive. Uh, after long? Larson thrusts his bowie knife into it and kills it. It's got no eyeballs. Looks at the other. None of them do. Blind as bats, every one. Larson starts gutting it out. I guess they uh, didn't see it coming then. <laughs> he pauses, repelled by a fetid vapor emanating from the insides of the dead bird. Ugh. <laughs> the pearl scent internal organs spilling out are pale and weirdly deformed, more geometric than organic. My dogs won't eat that. If they're hungry enough, they will. Keeps cutting. Uh, Gunnarsson stumbles, he looks down. Larson? Larson doesn't pay any attention to him. What you said about the sheep, there's a kind of fence here. 
Indeed, the remains of a large misshapen fence poke up from the ice and snow. So? So? Who the hell built it? Unseen by them, the penguins turn their heads, all of them at the same time. And in the fog, something moves. The dogs leap to their feet, growling. Larson grabs the shotgun, loads a couple shells. Uh, Jesus! Smell that? Cursing, Gunnarsson squints into the white void. Something's dead. Peculiar piping sound reaches their ears. The dogs snarl and tear at the wooden posts, holding them down. Larson, the birds. Larson turns. All the penguins face straight at them now. They are looking this way. Dogs are mad with fear. Gunnarsson loads the rifles. Rifle. Dogs, super down. Huskies turn on, turn on him, shredding his coat. Larson backs away, terrified. As Larson rolls to his feet, the dogs break free and dash off into the fog. Holy, god damn it! <laughs> follows a desperate chorus of whining and yelps. Larson runs after them. Hey here, for Christ's sake! Gunnarsson follows Larson, cursing in Danish. You know any Danish curses? No. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're at least you're honest. Yeah. In the fog, Larson finds bright blood and clumps of fur on the snow. Nope. 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 Here's a sad long whimper. Half a dog oh, pathetically God. drags yeah. itself towards him, oh, trailing intestine. Jesus. Did the Who would want to see this in the theater? Smearing the snow with clear pink fluid, Gunnarsson catches up at Larson fall, uh, as Larson falls to his knees, devastated. Oh, oh Christ. In the mist, a dozen tendrils are waving like an uh, undersea protoplasm, more shrill piping sounds. The back of the dog is suddenly writhing, uh, sinew. Larson realizes <laughs> that, he in uh, that the intestines are pseudopods growing from the dog's body. They um, coalesce into grab-like claws. The creature, gra uh, creature growls and explodes into a mass of translucent knobs, shot through with ligaments, tendons, and coiling veins. The neck propels outward, growing a series of hungry mouths. God, by the way, guys, this is literally like the thing. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the same yeah. thing. Like, literally, happens so, to a dog, too. It's yeah, kind of, yeah, to a monkey. Uh, so yeah. What, yeah. what that probably means is that the thing was very influential by at the mountains of Badness, the original oh, 100%. Yeah. oh yeah for sure but this is um creepy. it's very similar to, yeah. yeah but it is creepy i'm 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 thrown back yeah um all right the neck propels outward growing a series of hungry mouths a fleshy tongue attaches to the uh to gunnerson and lifts his lifts him up gun goes off gunnerson disappears into a mass of vibrating flesh vibrating flesh screaming fusing with it Larson instinctively shoots, then reloads. The tendrils keep coming. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Hey! Disappears into the fog. Lost in limbo, the mist is alive with darting movement and inhuman noise. Larson stumbles and falls, losing his hearing aid. Now it's now turning he's into in a, mist. It is. Mm -hmm. Now he's in a white limbo, effectively blind and deaf. The ice under his feet snaps. The, he jumps back. The ice cracks with each step. A dark big shape looms ahead. The tough Dane groans as he sees. Oh, God. God, nope. <laughs> the Miskatonic, the Arkham sister ship, sunk into the ice, thickly blanketed in snow, not a living soul in sight. 
Nothing over here. Oh shit. No. Oh shit. Larson <laughs> turns. Here comes an accursed uh, aspiration. Not aspiration, guys. Apparition. All right, get it right. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Gunnarsson's deformed body has fused with other creatures of unknown origin. Don't run. You come to me. Wow. Yes, Larson wow. stands his ground, gulping back his revel, revel, revulsion. Loads another shell. Speak up, Chad. I can hear a thing. He shoots the Gunnarsson thing point blank in the it face. It is. It's in Creature, the script. Yeah. The creature's head explodes in a burst of pink flesh, but instantly recomposes, regaining its shape and awful purpose in midair. As it lands, it sprouts fresh tentacles, mouths, and eyes. Person takes the only way out. He reloads and fires his gun into the ice, blowing open a hole at his feet. No! Above, under the ice, he jumps in. The tentacle lunge. The tentacles lunge, but upon contact with the water, they sizzle and erupt in bubbles. Sing steaming and uh, the thing shrivels as it burns. It squeals. There we go. Oh, beautiful. Underwater, <laughs> Larson swims away from the sin uh, sinuous, sinuous dark shapes yeah. visible above the ice. He swims on, then after some agonizing seconds, he presses the tip of his weapon against the ice and fires. Ice field. Larson resurfaces, gasping for air. The shape races at him. He checks his gun, one shot left, takes a deep breath, and dives back down. Under the ice, Larson sinks slowly away into the dark. No! I wonder were the makers and enslavers alive? They were the great old ones who filtered down from the stars when the earth was young, dude. Cut <laughs> <laughs> two. Interior, ship's lab, night. Danforth is reading to the other scientists from the leather-bound volume. It's all here. The time and space anomalies, the creatures, known here as the old ones. Uh, I know the text. Schwab's translation of the nec 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 What the fuck? Necron Necronomicon. Necronomicon. What? Necronomicon. What? 1875, a collection of pagan rubbish scribbled down by an 8th century Yemeni astrologer, Abdul Al-Hazred. Necronomicon is mentioned in this? What? <laughs> the Necronomicon what is, came what? from uh, Lovecraft. Oh, uh, okay. Necronomicon. That's a oh, great name. Thank okay, you, Byron. Uh, we, were, we were idiots. Thank you for, <laughs> for putting us in the right direction. Yeah. Necronomicon. Okay. Uh, Pabodi takes the book and leave, uh, leaps through the yellowing pages. It breaks down their alphabet? Gives us a place to start? Start what? It's an embarrassment. You can't possibly rely on such a source. Under the circumstances? Pabodi, you astonish me. That book should be destroyed. Forgotten. Not if we want to leave this place. I'll turn to Link. <laughs> Einstein has written about the elastic nature of time and space. What if these creatures harness them? As an energy or as a tool. There's a residual effect here, a vortex, that our most fundamental perceptions matter no more. Yes. The ice encasing the ship is growing faster than we can melt it, because weeks may be passing while we believe them to be just minutes. Speculations prove nothing. And what is your explanation, sir? Mass hysteria? Your beloved Jesus practical jokes? The fact is, we're trapped here. 
would keep silent, but his eyes are on fire. Mm. Ow. But I believe that the puzzle can be solved. Gedney's films show structures on top of the mountains. I say they're buildings. The group murmurs. The answer is at hand. We must fly up there. Cut to exterior ice field day. The engines on both Dornier planes come to life. The propellers stir the exhaust smoke into, uh, okay. The propellers <laughs> stir the exhaust smoke into the clear sky. The scientists are loading equipment. Gedney and Pip haul their cameras on board. Interior, ship's laboratory day. Lake and Dyer pack some things into leather flight bags. Everything we've ever learned, every piece of knowledge, out the window. Physics, biology, we'll need a new set of tools. New language. What will we find up there? Blake goes to the large headless fossil. To think that this seems so important. It was just the first clue. Piece of rubble. Insignificant, really. Outside, the roar of the airplane engines grows louder. Sir, we'd better hurry. You're scientists, Bill. This is what we live for. You couldn't miss this for the world, I. Dyer has grown quiet, remembering. Lake pauses, a moment of strange intimacy. Are you glad you came along? I'm grateful. Really, it's oh, just a bit overwhelming. Not the answer Lake was looking for, but still. So am I. There's something... He presses a small steel key into Dyer's hand. Go to my stateroom. There's a box on my desk. No. Look inside. No. Now? Now. No! He, he grabs the leather bags and his heavy coat and steps outside. Interior, Lake's stateroom, moments later. Dyer enters Lake's stateroom and sees the box on Lake's crowded desk. He uses the key to open and opens it up inside a folded telegram. It's the message from Boston. He, as he reads it, the din from the planes comes deafening. Exterior, ice field day. Captain Douglas follows Lake to the waiting aircraft. Follow the coastline. Sumner's headed east. You go west. We can triangulate. You have my pledge, Captain. We will return with a way out of this. Keep the coast in sight. Miskatonic would do that. Look for a whaling, <laughs> whaling station, a weather outpost. Captain Douglas, you've made it abundantly clear. It's your ship. However, I am in charge of the expedition. What a dick. Dyer approaches. Ah, Dyer, did you... Or throws a telegram at him. Yes, you found... Bam! Dyer punches him in the face. A mist of blood explodes from Lake's nose as he falls back. Dyer is upon him, pummeling him again and again. Danforth leaps in and separates them. Lake stands dizzy and weak. Yay! Jesus Christ, Bill, what are you doing? <laughs> when were you planning on telling me? She was my wife, Lake. My wife! What? It's not your fault. Or mine. Can't you see? Dyer charges again. Danforth holds him back. Anna's dead. And the baby. He knew. He's known for weeks. You're here because you knew your priorities. You just won't admit it. You chose what was best for you. Who are you to say? Everything is a distraction. Art, poetry, love, human life. So you've led us. So you've led us to where? Lunacy? Death? Where are you leading these men now, huh? Where? Knowledge. Well, you can go without me. He pulls free and walks away. Lake regains his composure. Come along, Danforth. 
Let's go. Exterior ice field day. The motors belch smoke, and the first plane lifts off. Dyer bitterly observes from the ship's deck that the second plane takes off. Cut to you. Cockpit, plane A. Molten at the controls. Lake sits next to him. Camera moves into the cabin area, plane A, where Bordreau, Daniels, and Pip are belted in. Genny points his camera out a window and cranks off some footage. You want me to continue, or...? Yes, Nick, you can stop because we've reached the end of part one of our coverage on Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness. Stay tuned, as there will be a part two. And if everything goes well, it should be released next Monday. If you happen to make it this far, we want to thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, feel free to follow or subscribe so that way you don't miss an episode. We have an Instagram, which is unproducablepodcast at instagram.com. If you want to reach out to us, feel free to email us at unproducablepodcast at gmail.com. And unproducible spelled U-N-P-R-O-D-U-C-A-B. L E podcast at gmail.com. And the links for those should be in the bio. If not, that just means I couldn't figure out a way to get them there. So if they aren't there, just ignore this last part. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening, and we hope to see you in part two. Goodbye, and stay safe out there.